I have a couple of questions for you today. First question is really easy. It's a yes or no question. You're going to get it right. I know you will. Second question might be a little more complicated. So keep that in mind. Just be ready for that. The first question is, how many of you, have you ever eaten a pear? How many of you have ever eaten a pear? Okay, great. Look at that. Look at that. I think the majority of you got that one. Okay, good job. I assume you're telling me the truth that you've actually eaten a pear. That's great. Now, here's the complicated question, and you won't know the answer unless you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many of you have eaten a pear the right way? A <laughs> couple of you know what I'm talking about. Just a few of you. A few years ago, I worked in an office, and we received a box one day. It was a gift from another organization that we worked with, and it was a box of pears. And uh, I thought, well, this is really nice. And I noticed a couple things about this box of pears. First of all, all the pears were in like egg crates. You know, they were protected in egg crates. And then they were all wrapped individually in tissue paper. Now, to me, a pear is just a, a, pear is just a fancy apple. You know, it's, it's, it's just like an apple. And, you know, I get an apple, I pick it up, I polish it, I, I, I take a bite, I set it down, I pick it back up, I set it down, I put it in my mouth, I go back to typing, I put it back and watch TV, and, and I'm just involved in a lot of other things, and I'm eating this apple at the same time. Pears are, are different. Now, first of all, they were all wrapped in tissue paper. I picked one of them up, and I noticed it was really soft. And I thought to myself, oh, these pears are rotten. And a coworker said, no, 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 no. Those pears are perfect. You know what I'm talking about. Those pears are perfect. And that's when I noticed that on the top of the box, I didn't even know I needed this, but on the top of the box there were instructions for how to eat a pear. I didn't know I needed instructions for how to eat a pear. But there they were, instructions. You take your finger, you take your thumb, and you kind of push on the top of the pear, and you see if it's soft. And, and, and then, well, to do it right, you kind of have to hang over the sink because it's going to drip. And as you're eating that pear, you're going to have juice running down your beard, well, face. I don't know if you have a beard or not. Anyway, you're going to have juice running down to your elbows. Uh, eating a pear is involved. It's not like an apple where you can snack on it and put it down and come back to it. Eating a, a pear is, is, is very, very involved. But they were so sweet and so delicious. They tasted amazing. And so all day long, we all took turns going to the kitchenette at the office and hanging over the sink, and eating our pears. We, we all took turns doing that. Now, I mention that because when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, when we talk about joy, maybe you're thinking fruits, you're thinking about an apple. Maybe you're thinking about an apple as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. An apple is crisp, an apple is sweet, you can snack on an apple, but you can also set it down, and you can come back to it a little bit later. But but joy is not like an apple. Joy is more like a pear. Yes, it's sweet. It is delicious. But it also gets messy at times. It is involved. You really can't set it down and come back to it later. You have to be completely involved in the process of joy. And once you've tasted it, once you've had real joy, you will not put it down. You're going to want more. Well, if we're going to talk about joy and we're going to spend this month talking about joy. Really, there's no better place to begin than Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in Philippians 4 today, verses 4 through 7. If you want to grab one of those Bibles in front of you, it's page 982. 
Paul uses the word joy and the verb rejoice over and over again as he writes this letter to his friends at the church in Philippi. By the way, when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. He was in prison with a, with a death sentence hanging over his head. Writing with a huge unknown, and yet he writes with joy. Beginning there in verse 4 of, of Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of the things that you have to notice from Paul's instructions here is that joy is a matter of obedience first. Joy is a matter of obedience first, not emotion first. Now, I want you to hear me carefully on that because joy is an emotional response in some situations. You got a new baby in your family, a new, new baby, probably a new grandbaby, but you got a new baby, your, your response is joy, right? You, you rejoice. You're, you're filled with joy. Christmas morning, you're filled with joy. Your team wins the big game. You rejoice. You are overcome with joy. You go out and you see the first robin of spring. Do you remember this last couple of weeks? You saw the first robin of spring? Yeah, that was great. You know, you, you experience some joy in that. Sometimes it's all you can do to contain your joy. You, you jump for joy. You shout for joy. You share your joy. But if it's just a matter of emotion, Paul could not do what he does here in verse 4. In verse 4, he commands us, commands us, to rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. You guys ever heard that verse before? You, you all seem a little quiet today. And I'm just a little worried about what I'm going to do next. Just a little concerned. So I want you to play along and pretend you like me. Okay? Just pretend you like me for a few minutes. You've heard this, you've heard this verse before, right? Did you know? Did you guys know there's a song? About how many of you knew there's a song about this verse? You knew that? Okay, some of you didn't. That's okay. Why don't we try singing the song that goes with Philippians 4 4? Can we try to do that today? It's right there in your Bibles. You don't need the words on the screen, they're right there on your Bibles. So, you know what? We, we should probably stand up. We should probably say, everybody, let's, let's all just stand up for a minute. It's just going to take a minute. That's all. You're going to be fine. You're going to love this. Maybe you won't. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. So we're, let's do it this way. We should really do it as a round, right? Isn't that right? Kelly, is it working? Kelly, do you want to come help me? I didn't think so. <laughs> so this side will start with rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. And then this side will echo that. And then we'll go through. And aren't there like, uh, there's applause and stuff. And there's hand motions. All right, I think we can do this. Okay, you ready? This side starting. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. 
Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice, rejoice. Are we done? That's great. Look, give you hell, give yourself a hand. Now look, I, I know that was weird, and we don't normally do that kind of stuff. We don't normally do that kind of stuff, but uh, but that was fun, and and we rejoiced together. That was great. You were smiling, you were clapping, you were enjoying what we were doing. But I want you to realize when Paul wrote that to the, to the Philippians, he was in jail. It, they had sentenced him possibly to death. He says, I, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. You know, the, it'd be great if I live, if I, if I end up dying and going home with Christ. That's, that's okay too. So, so he was under this death sentence. The, the church that he's writing it to, the Philippian church, they were being persecuted for their faith. They were experiencing trouble. And on top of that, you jump up two verses before this, back in Philippians 2.2, you find out there were two women in the Philippian church who were not getting along. There were two women in this church who were not getting along, and they were coming close to splitting the church. The church was going to split. There was going to be the Yodia side, and there was going to be the Syntyche side, and they were not going to sing together anymore. This church was, was in trouble. This church was in turmoil. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And they said, no, I don't think so. And he said, I'll say it again, rejoice. Why did he do that? It was not so we could have a catchy song, but because they thought there was no room in their lives for joy. They thought there was no room for joy. If it can be commanded, it's got to be more than just an emotion, doesn't it? You cannot command someone to have an emotion. Paul doesn't say, be happy in the Lord. And again, I will say, be happy. You know there's a difference between happiness and joy, right? It's not the same word. I know we use them interchangeably sometimes, but it's not the same word. Have you ever noticed that the word happy starts, and it sounds kind of like the word happen? Happy and happen have, have a lot of the same letters. They sound a lot alike. That's because they come from the same root. The root is hap, as in to hap, uh, I guess. I don't know. The, the root word for happen and the root word for happy is hap. It's an old word, and it means chance. And so when we talk about being happy, we are saying if by chance things go my way, if by chance everything works out the way I want it to, then I will be happy. But if by chance things do not work out my way, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. I am not going to be happy. Happiness is a response to circumstances. Happiness, happiness is easy. Happiness is kind of like an apple. You can ha have it today. You can set it down tomorrow. You can pick it back up. You can put it back down. Joy is not like that. Joy is messy. Joy is like a pear. Paul is in jail. The Philippians are fighting among themselves. Is, is anybody happy? No, no one is happy. But they can still rejoice. They can still choose to have joy. Joy is proactive happiness. It's happiness that says, despite the circumstances, despite what is happening, I will choose joy. And because it's a command, it calls for a long-term change in our lives. Joy calls for a long-term change in our lives, in our attitudes, and you need to keep that in mind as we look at the rest of the verses. Because the very next verse talks about being reasonable. 
And we become very unreasonable if we're not rejoicing. We cannot be reasonable if we're not rejoicing. And, and then the next verse talks about not being anxious. And, and we, we will not understand how not to be anxious unless we have chosen first to be joyful, to rejoice. And ultimately, we are not going to know the peace of Christ unless joy is a matter of obedience. Those are things we want. We want to be reasonable. We want to not experience anxiety. We want to be anxiety-free. We want the peace of God. If we want those things, we start with joy. We start with rejoicing. And of all the things, of all the changes that Paul could have highlighted here, the very first place he goes is to show us that joy changes the way we react to other people. Joy changes the way we react to other people. I've always thought it'd be a lot easier to have the fruit of the Spirit if I didn't have to deal with other people. You know, you think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Wouldn't it be easier to be patient if I didn't have to put up with other people? You know, wouldn't it be easier to be loving if I didn't have to love certain people? You know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be easier to be peaceful if I didn't have to put up with other people that, that wreck my peace in my life? But, but then again, I, I wouldn't be able to be kind if it weren't for other people. I, I wouldn't understand self-control if it weren't for other people. So Paul gives us this command to rejoice in the Lord always, and he applies it to, to everyone that we encounter. He goes on and he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Did you, did you notice he said everyone? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That means, that means everyone. It's an interesting word, reasonableness. No one seems to be able to agree on how to translate the word here. It, some say gentleness. Some of your Bibles say let your gentleness be known to all. It's not the same word that we use in the fruit of the Spirit, though, when we talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's, it's not the same word. It, others, other Bibles say let your sweet reasonableness be known to all. I think that's nice. What does it mean? Really, one of the best ways to translate it, we would say lenience. Lenience is really close to what reasonableness is. If we were, if you were stopped by a police officer, perhaps you were going a little faster than you should have. You know, maybe you're maybe you're going just a little fast. Don't you kind of hope that he's going to be lenient on you? If you were in court and and the standing before the judge, wouldn't you hope the judge would be lenient with you? Isn't it interesting? We want them to be lenient with me, but we don't want lenience for anyone else. We just want lenience for ourselves we we kind of hope we get lenience lenience reasonableness it's a matter of knowing when not to apply the strict letter of the law not that we never apply the strict letter of the law but lenience is a matter of knowing when not to apply the strict letter of the law your kids probably taught you that more likely your grandkids teach you that when not to apply the strict letter of the law it's the sort of thing, though, that, that rejoicing is going to cause to be birthed in you. Rejoicing causes us to be reasonable. You, you think about the times that you've been wronged. The times when you're wronged, your very first instinct is vengeance, right? The very first thing you want when you've been wronged, your first instinct is vengeance. I want revenge. You want that person to pay. Now, can you think about revenge and rejoice 
at the same time? Probably not. And since we're commanded to rejoice, we're going to have to find something better than revenge. Since we're commanded to rejoice, we have to find something better than revenge. That's reasonableness. That's what Paul is talking about here. And he says, make sure everyone, everyone sees your reasonableness. Why? He says, because the Lord is near. Now, he's a little vague on that. What does he mean when he says the Lord is near? Does he mean the Lord is near by me? Does he mean he's near in space? Or does he mean he's near in time? As, if, as in the Lord is coming back soon. You know what? No, nobody really knows. And you know what? It, it really doesn't matter. All Paul is saying is that joy should be born out of the nearness of Jesus to you. You should recognize that Jesus is near to you and that should cause you to respond with joy, with, by rejoicing. Can you trust that no matter the circumstance, no matter the, no matter the hap that's happening to you, that Jesus is closer? Jesus is even closer to you than, than the circumstance. Can you trust that He stands near you? Then, then you can rejoice. There are other people around us, there are people around you that, that don't know that. Those people need you to be reasonable with them so that through your reasonableness, you demonstrate the nearness of Jesus. It's not just about people though. When joy transforms us, it changes the way we react to other people. It also changes the way we react to our circumstances. It changes the way we react to our circumstances. You know, there are four commands in this little passage right here that we're looking at. Four commands. Three of them are positive commands. One of them is a negative command. One of them is a stop that command. Just stop doing that. Verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Stop being anxious. Do not be anxious. Did you know the word, the word anxious originally meant choke? Do you know that? The word anxious originally meant choke because when you are anxious, you want to choke someone, right? Is that, is that where that comes from? Probably not, not that, no. When you're anxious, you choke. When you're anxious, you can't make a decision. When you're anxious, you can't decide how you're going to react, how you're going to act, who you're going to be. And so you choke. You choke on making decisions. You choke on your feelings. You choke on life. You think, well, maybe this will happen or maybe that will happen and you get caught between the two and you choke. You do nothing. Neurologists study the brain, right? Neurologists, they, they study our brains. And they've, they've discovered that ideas and thoughts create these paths in our minds. They call them synaptic pathways. And, and as we think, the, these synaptic pathways are, are kind of welded together. Your brain, your brain, my brain, our brains, our brains are lazy. Okay, our brains are really, really lazy, but that's okay because they are very busy. Your brain is very busy. It has a lot of stuff to do. It has to keep you breathing, has to keep your heart beating, has, has to keep you doing a lot of things. So your brain gets lazy and what your brain does is your brain pays attention to how you think. It pays attention to the way that you think to make it easier for you to always think that way. So it, it notices how you think it. It wants to make it easier for you to think that way. So if you always think negative thoughts, your brain rewires itself so that you'll always remember how to think negative thoughts. If you're always thinking negative things, your brain rewires itself so, to make it easier for you to be negative. Now, now, some of you tell me every now and then, some of you tell me you're getting forgetful. 
Every now and then, one of you will mention, I'm getting forgetful. I remember. I remember that you tell me those things. I'm not getting forgetful. I remember that. But you'll tell me, I'm getting forgetful. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I promise you, you will never forget how to be anxious. (laughs) You will never forget how to worry. If you want to stop being anxious, if you want to stop worrying, you will have to rewire your brain. You're going to have to change the way that you think. And so he says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but, this is how we rewire our brains, but in everything, how many things? Everything, right. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In everything, instead of worrying, you pray. In everything, instead of losing your reasonableness, you pray. You petition God. And you do it with thanksgiving. (laughs) Wow, how do you do that? Let me tell you something about thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not just a holiday. Thanksgiving is a conviction. Thanksgiving is a conviction that you take for yourself. It is a conviction that looks for something to be thankful. How many of you got up this morning and took your vitamin D? I have to take vitamin D. You guys take vitamin D? Yeah, the doctor tells me I need more vitamin D, so I'm taking more vitamin D. And when you start taking vitamin D, you have to take a lot of vitamin D. You have to like triple up on your vitamin D. And then the sun came out. Did you notice the sun came out? And all of a sudden, we're feeling better. Oh, we're loving it. That's because the sun gives us vitamin D. The sun, the sun is, is vitamin D. I want you to think of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is vitamin T, okay? Let's just think of it as, as vitamin T. It channels your, your energy and it channels your attention towards the blessings that God is performing in your life right now. So if you get up in the morning and you take your vitamin D, you also need to remember to get up in the morning and take your vitamin T. Look for something to be thankful about. And then here's the promise in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see the beauty of that? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's forget about our minds for a minute. I mean, you already did. You know, people have told me you're getting forgetful. So let's forget about our minds for a minute. And let's talk about our hearts just for a moment. It is your heart that is the seat of emotion. It is the heart that is the seat of will. It is the heart that tells you to worry. It is your heart that is deceitful, the Bible says. Your heart causes you to be anxious. Your heart tells you, I don't want to rejoice today. Your heart says, I want to stay in bed. I want to put the covers up. I want to pull the shades down. I'm going to stay in bed. But what is God promising here in verse 7? Your heart and your mind will be renewed. An ever-increasing spiral of renewal of your heart and your mind. And it all begins with you and I being willing to be obedient to the call to be joyful. Obedient to joy. Obedient to rejoicing. A few months ago, I came home, and on my porch, UPS had left a box. And I I thought, well, I didn't order anything. I didn't remember ordering anything. Sometimes I forget. But there's a box waiting for me. And I look at it, and it looked real familiar. And I realized 
It was a box of those pears. Same pears. Same kind of box. Had holes in the side, you know, air holes in the box. And I could see the tissue paper sticking out. And there on the top of the box were the instructions on how to eat a pear. And I thought I was excited. I thought, oh, somebody sent me some pears. This is going to be great. And then I looked at the address label. They weren't my pears. There's a house down the road that has the same address. It's just on the south side. I'm on the north side. And I get their packages all the time. And they get mine. And we meet and we swap packages. And kind of wanted at least one. I mean, I was doing the right thing. I was returning their pears. But I didn't take any of their pears. But I was really disappointed they weren't mine. But I couldn't bring myself to steal someone else's pears. I mention that because some of us have had someone steal our joy. Someone has has stolen our joy. Maybe circumstances stole our joy. Maybe there were circumstances in our lives that made us anxious or they they made us worried and maybe that's where our joy went. Our joy got stolen. Maybe, Maybe people took your joy. Maybe it was someone else who was unreasonable. (laughs) Maybe someone else did something unreasonable or unkind and that took our joy. Or maybe maybe what we thought was joy was really just happiness. Maybe it was completely dependent upon the circumstances and we were paying more attention to the circumstances than what we were growing within ourselves, than the joy that we were cultivating in our hearts and in our minds. I've said this many times. You have an enemy. You have an enemy that despises you. You you have an enemy that, that completely hates you and he wants you miserable. Jesus says in John 10.10 that the thief, Satan, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm going to tell you, he wants to steal your joy. He's trying to steal your joy. Because if He can take your joy, if He can rob you of your joy, then He can turn you into an unreasonable, anxiety-ridden, prayerless, thankless wreck with absolutely no peace. And in your anxiety, in your anxiousness, you will leave your heart and you will leave your mind unguarded. That's His plan. That's what He wants to take. Do not let him have your joy. As messy as life might get, hold on to your joy. Hold on to the joy that you have. Next week. Next week, we're just going to look at one one verse. uh, And it's the very next verse in this passage. You look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is an antidote to joylessness. This is something that will bring you joy. I have two copies. Philippians 4.8. Think on these things. I have two copies of the 4.8 principle today. 4.8 principle, the secret to a joy-filled life by Tommy Newberry. And I'm going to give these to the two most joyless people I... No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Let's vote. How about we do that? <laughs> you know what? If, if you come up to me today after, after uh, church when we're shaking you out, um, and you say, you know what? I really need to read that. And it is a quick read. You'll have this done. 
can knock this out in an afternoon. If you say, I really need that this week, and I want to study ahead for next week's sermon, um, ask me. I would love to, to give you a copy of, uh, of one of these books. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we confess that too often we've, we've sacrificed our own joy. We've, we've given it up. We sacrificed it for happiness. We've neglected to be reasonable with, with anyone, even ourselves. And, and we've been anxious, we've been prayerless, and we've allowed our, our hearts and our minds to be left unguarded. And while we acknowledge this as truth, we tell you today that this is not who we want to be. Rather, rather than focus on all that we aren't and all that we lack, we place our attention today on you. We want your joy to be our strength. We want your peace to guard our hearts and our minds. And when our enemy, when the thief reminds us of all that we don't have and all that he's taken from us, you remind us that we pray to the one of whom the Apostle Paul proclaimed, my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches, His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.